Bibles, turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Revelation, chapter number 1. We began last week looking at uh, this wonderful book, a book that many try and steer away from. I've tried to steer away from it several times, but I believe it's a book that uh, we can receive some encouragement from and uh, the Lord can receive uh, glory from. It's a book that it really is uh, revealing Jesus Christ in all of his glory. Throughout the Bible, we see in the, New, in the Old Testament, we see little bits and pieces of, of Christ coming. And, uh, and then when we get to the Gospels, we see Christ in his first coming. And we've seen him come as a babe in a manger. We see him come as uh, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. We see him uh, uh, ascend up into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God making intercession for us as that great high priest. But Revelation reveals everything about Christ and that it finally culminates with his second coming. And we see Jesus Christ for who he is. That is the King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. And so this evening, uh, we continue that study through the book of Revelation. So when you find your place in Revelation chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 9 through 20 tonight. So if you find your place, if you're able, that stands we honor the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter number 1, beginning with verse number 9. And the Word of God says, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. The word of God says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it. Unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like in the fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as a sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead." And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this night. We thank you for bringing us back here to worship. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you give me the words to say. Lord, that you fill me with your spirit. 
Lord, that we that tonight I preach hidden behind the cross. Lord God, that when we hear this message, it's not me, but it is the word. It is the word of Christ. May we be edified tonight. May we be encouraged. May Jesus Christ be lifted up. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I've titled tonight's message, A Vision of Jesus. A Vision of Jesus. As we think about the context in which John is writing, John is in the island of Patmos. We're going to learn what that means here in a minute. It really means that he was in prison. Patmos was a prison island. And as he was in prison, he he is uh, facing that hardship. And he's writing to uh, seven churches in Asia. Asia Minor, which is known as Turkey now. And he is writing to them because they are experiencing certain trials and tribulations. They're experiencing certain persecutions. And it's a whole lot more than just being being called names. They are facing life and death situations because of their testimony and witness of Jesus Christ. And it's through that that when John writes this letter, as he is instructed to do by the uh, Lord himself... That he is turning and he sees a vision of Jesus. And as he sees this vision of Jesus, he begins to write it uh, and uh, deliver this message to the seven churches. And this vision that he has of Jesus is meant to be an encouragement to these seven churches. After all, they're going through certain trials and tribulations that we uh, can't even begin to imagine what they're going through. But at the same time as these seven churches are going through trials, they needed a vision of Jesus Christ. Folks, listen to me. The church today in the United States and all across the world is facing hostility. We all know. We hey, what, what was it we just heard about the Christians over in, I believe it was New Zealand, just gunned down by Muslim terrorists. If we need some encouragement this evening, it is now. And the only encouragement we can see and we can get is when we, like John, see a vision of Jesus Christ and who he is. But before we look at this vision of Jesus, it would help us to gain a better understanding of who John was. Specifically in this passage. And then as we see who John was, we'll be able to relate to him and him to us. And then we'll see what he heard. We'll see what he saw. And then we'll see what he was commanded. So let's look at who who John was in verses 9 and 10. He writes to these churches and he says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. Notice the way he's describing himself to the seven churches. He says, I am your brother, a companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Uh, he's in the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. These are all descriptive words uh, telling us who John was. And this is John the Apostle. This is John the Apostle whom Jesus loved. This is John the now known as the Revelator. He has received this revelation of Jesus Christ. And he is delivering it to the people. But how does he describe himself? He first of all calls himself a brother. 
He is writing to these seven churches who I have no idea if he's ever met or not. I don't know if he's had any interaction with them. But he writes to them knowing that they are Christians, knowing that they are struggling churches facing persecution, facing oppression. And he writes to them and he says, I am your brother. Isn't it good to know that Christ transcends all race, nationality, ethnicity, and culture. And in doing so, he makes us all, no matter what age you are, no matter what color your skin is, no matter what social status you may have, but if you are in Christ, we're all brothers and sisters in the family of God. And so John is writing, and he's saying, hey, look, I am writing to you as a brother. You see, one thing that we might not get today is that when a lot of times in, in, in regular families, when I say regular families, I mean by name and by blood. Too much infighting goes on, doesn't it? I, I've got family that, that man, if you uh, mention one of them's name they, uh, to, to somebody, man, they start raising all kinds of cane. You might know some people like that. The families bicker back and forth. But can I go and say that, that that's not the way God intended for the families to behave with one another? So when he's writing as a brother to these other churches, he's not writing as an estranged brother that, uh, that, doesn't, that is indifferent towards them. He is writing as a brother, one that truly cares what they're going through, one that weeps when they weep and rejoice when they rejoice. And that is how we should behave because we're the family of God. We're part of the body of Christ. And so John writes and he says, I am your brother. But then not only that, he says, I am also your companion in tribulation. One of the reasons John can relate to them is because he's going through the same types of persecution that they're going through. John is in the island of Patmos. It says he's a, a companion in tribulation, and he's in this island called Patmos. It's a prison island. He's experienced persecution. He's experienced the uh, harshness of society towards him for preaching and proclaiming the gospel. After all, that's what it says he is there for. He says he is there for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John, the revelator, if it wasn't for his willingness to stand boldly and speak out against sin. And speak out and say there's only one remedy for sin. And that is not to turn over a new leaf. But that it is to trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. If it wasn't for Him standing boldly on that premise. And on those promises. He would not be in the situation that He was in. But John, like a faithful Christian that he is, like a faithful apostle that he is, he stands firm with conviction and preaches, thus saith the Lord, and it has cost him his freedom. And he is writing to these 
seven churches, and he is saying, I am your companion in tribulation and in kingdom and in patience. In other words, he's saying, I am just like you. He says, I am facing the same persecutions. I am facing the same trials and the same devastations that you are facing. But notice this one word. He says, and in kingdom and patience. What does that word mean, patience? It means to endure without giving up. You know what that patience means? It means that John has hope. John has hope in this life. What is that hope? It's that one day he's going to receive Christ again. Folks, he says, I am your companion in tribulation and in the kingdom in patience. He's writing to these seven churches and saying that if you hold on, if you just endure under this hardship, you have the same hope that I have. And folks, the message is true 2,000 years later. If we hold on to the promises of Jesus Christ and we never give up when times get tough and we never give in to the society around us, we have the same hope that one day Jesus Christ will come back for us. And it's this kind of preaching. And it's that type of attitude that landed him right in jail. He says he is in the island of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Those two words for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. They're a parallel. Or a, they, they mean the same thing. It basically says he was in prison for preaching. Just think. This was 2,000 years ago. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. We had a good run. Years later came... Uh, uh, the uh, religious uh, freedom and under Roman rule, and so any uh, any any Christian they could they could openly pro, uh, profess their faith and and worship, but then persecution would come. Throughout history, there's been ups and downs with the church throughout the centuries. few hundred years ago a little country was founded based on one principle and that was freedom of religion or just freedom but the first one first amendment what freedom of religion freedom to worship who we choose and how we choose but times are now changing Christians, even in America, built on Christian principles, are now facing persecution. And here's what the Bible says about it. It's just going to get worse. It's going to get worse. But just as John was facing this persecution and 
oppression and tribulation. And just like these seven churches were facing tribulation. And just like we will face tribulation. We can have hope. Because of who Jesus is and what John saw. Says he was in the spirit in verse 10 on the Lord's day. Didn't let his consequences keep him from worshiping. Who was John? John was a faithful brother and companion in tribulation, kingdom and patience. One that endured trials, tribulations, persecutions and oppressions. All because of his stance on Jesus Christ. And refusing to acknowledge the world around him. And and give in and say, oh yeah, Jesus Christ is just one of many gods. But he stood boldly and said, no, Jesus Christ is not one of many gods. He is the only God. That's who John was. Now I want you to notice what he saw. Verse number 11. I'm sorry, what he heard. Verse number 10 at the very end of the second part, he says, He heard behind me, he says, I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. He heard this loud, booming voice. In fact, we see hints about this in uh, the Old Testament. Remember what I mentioned last week? That there is a bunch of allusions to Old Testament scripture in the book of Revelation. Because it's all the culmination from Genesis to Revelation. Revelation is the culmination of all things. So in Exodus chapter number 19. Moses has went up on the mountain and. He's meeting with God. It says in verse number 16. It came to pass on the third day in the morning. That there were thunders and lightnings. And a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud. So that all the people that was in the camp trembled. It says in verse 17. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp. To meet with God. Amos chapter number 3. In Amos chapter 3. Verses 4 through 8. says will a lion roar in the forest. When he hath no prey. Will a young lion cry out of his den. If he have taken nothing. Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth. Where no gin is for him. Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Listen. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. The lion hath roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken. Who can but prophesy? Did you notice the connection between the trumpet and the voice of God? John says he was in the island. And he heard a voice 
as of a trumpet. This is what the prophet John is hearing. He is hearing a voice or the voice of God speak. But what? And he heard it. He says he heard this voice saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, and unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Laodicea, and unto, uh, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. He heard this voice speaking behind him, saying these things. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What do we know about this Alpha and Omega, the first and the last? Verse number 8 of our chapter says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. Notice it, saith the Lord. He hears a voice. Booming like a trumpet. And this voice says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And then proceeds to tell him about these churches that they will receive this letter. This speaks of Jesus Christ. He didn't just hear any old voice. He heard the voice of Jesus. But when he heard the voice of Jesus, he didn't hear the voice of a prophet or a good teacher. When he heard the voice of Jesus, he didn't just hear the, hear the voice of a, of a man or a ghost. When he heard the voice of Jesus, he heard the voice of God himself. So we know who John was. We know what he heard. But what did he see? Verses 12 through 18. He says, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, he says, I saw seven golden candlesticks. First thing he saw was these seven golden candlesticks. We learn in verse number 20 that the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches that he's writing to. he says he saw in the midst of the seven candlesticks one like unto the son of man so he sees these seven churches now it's remember revelation is full of symbols and pictures that's why the, and the seven golden candlesticks represent the seven churches but why golden candlesticks gold was a most precious metal at this time let me just stop right there. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most precious thing in his sight. And so when he looks at the churches, he sees something precious. When he looks at the churches, he sees something valuable to him. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians, Jesus loved the church. And he gave himself up for them. 
we see that the church is the bride of Christ. And so when Jesus looks at the churches, he looks at the churches as I would look at Anna. Or you husbands would look at your wives with adoration, with joy, with excitement as the most precious possession that you have. Let that sink in. The Lord of all the universe, who we view as precious in our sight, he looks at us as precious in his sight. And in the midst of these churches, I'm, let me get back to the candlestick. They're gold and they're precious to him. But then also it's a candlestick. What do you do with a candlestick? You put a candle on top of it. And what do candles do? They give off light. They light a room. What is the church supposed to be? The Bible speaks in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that the church is to be the pillar and ground of truth. What is a pillar? It's a post that whatever, if you want something accentuated, you put it up on that pillar. And so everybody can see it. And what is a candlestick uh, but a, a pillar that you place the candle on so it can give light to everything that's in the room? And what is the church to do is to be that pillar of truth. What is truth? The truth is the Word of God. The truth is Jesus Christ. And so the main purpose of the church is to give light to a lost and dying world. A world that is in darkness. A world that is in death. A world that the only way they can get out of that darkness is to see the light. And the church is to proclaim and lift up that light, which is truth in Jesus Christ. And here we see Jesus in the midst of his church. These churches that are going through tribulation and persecutions. As they look at this, they would obviously, and they see that this, the churches are, or the candlesticks are the Seven churches. It's easy to see how they could be encouraged by this. Because as they are going through certain trials and tribulations. They are reminded that they're not going through them alone. As I thought about Jesus being in the midst of these persecuted churches. It reminded me of Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, verses 9 through 25. I'm sorry, 19 through 25. It says, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. This is because the three Hebrew children refused to worship the image. So it says in verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the form of his visage was uh, changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be. 
repeated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. You see, whenever we go through troubles and trials and tribulations, persecutions, oppressions, diseases, death, all the like, we don't go through them alone. But we go through them with Jesus Christ by our side. Always watching, always protecting His churches. As He looked and He saw Jesus, He saw Him in the midst of His churches and says that He had a clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. This would be representative of uh, Jesus being the high priest. These were high priestly garments. And Hebrews chapter 2 says that he is that priest that is always making intercession for us. He is the priest that laid down the sacrifice and now he sits at the right hand of God making intercession for us. He's revealed as having white hairs in verse 14 on his head. They were white like wool, white as snow. This is a reference to Daniel chapter 7 verse number 9. Where it talks about the ancient of days. Jesus Christ being referred to in that. The purity of... And holiness is what's represented by the white hairs. Then he, he is going slightly down the body of Jesus. As he starts with the hairs being white, representing the purity and holiness of Jesus. He now gets to the eyes. He says his eyes were as a flame of fire. This would speak of a uh, judgment. His piercing gaze as he looks through to the hearts of men. Looks through to the hearts of his churches. And he is able to judge with a righteous judgment. We now work our way down and we go from the eyes to the feet. Verse 15. His feet, says, was likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. Back in these days, a judge or a king would would stand on a, a platform as the 
wrongdoers were brought to him, they would cast them down at the judge's feet or the king's feet, whoever may be in authority at this time. And as they would do that, over time, the feet became symbolic as authority. And so when it writes about his feet uh, being like fine brass, it, it speaks of uh, uh, being put through the a fiery furnace uh, as if they were burned in a furnace. This speaks of more authority and this speaks of more judgment. In fact, what we're seeing is that Jesus goes through his churches and he judges and that's what we get into the letters of the churches. He is going through and he is examining the hearts of the churches. And he commends them or he condemns them. And he is able to do that because he is a righteous judge. And he speaks to his churches with authority. And if need be a chastening, chastising authority. It says in verse 15, and his voice was as the sound of many waters. There's a reference to this in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 43, verse number 2. This is what the prophet John in Revelation is seeing. It's the same thing the prophet Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel 43, verse 2. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. Are we getting an idea of just who Jesus is? He is God. And he is the one in the midst of his churches. Going through them during tribulations. During trials. But at the same time, he is also a judge. And he judges righteously. And he will either condemn a church for faithful or condemn a church for unfaithfulness or he will champion a church for their faithfulness it says that he has in his right hand the seven stars we're told in verse number 20 that these seven stars are the angels of the seven churches the word angel comes from a greek word Angelos. And that Greek word simply means messenger. And so when it says messenger, he's I believe he's referring to the person of the church that stands and delivers a message from God. Which would be the pastor of the church. Now when I say that, I mentioned this once before and it was somebody misunderstood what I said. When I say that, I'm not saying that I am an angelic being. And I'm not saying pastors are angelic beings. What I'm saying is that if a pastor is faithful and does what he is supposed to do, 
he stands in the pulpit and he proclaims a message from God. And that's what I believe is taking place here. And that he is saying that he is in control. And he has got the messengers, the pastors of the churches in his hands. And he is still leader of the churches. He is the over-shepherd, the great shepherd. And the pastors are the under-shepherd. And he is in control of the leadership of the church. And as it says here, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. According to Ephesians, I'm sorry, Hebrews, the word of God is a sharp two-edged sword. Look where the sharp two-edged sword comes from. It comes out of the mouth of Jesus. This is how Jesus would defend his churches. Through the messengers proclaiming the word of God. How do we protect the church from false teaching? How do we protect the church from false teachers? By being faithful to the word of God. That's how. And then in the final part of verse 16 it says his countenance. Was as the sun shineth in his strength. This speaks of the glory of Christ. And the glory of Christ is to be reflected in his church. So Ephesians 3.21 tells us that all glory comes to Christ through his church. John's reaction to this was one that if you read a lot of books, so-called Christian literature, you go to Lifeway, or I think they actually banned them from Lifeway now, but you can go to Walmart or get on Amazon, go to any bookstore, and they, they have these books that are written by people that have claimed to went to heaven and uh, they um, have had conversations with Christ. You know what you don't find in any of these books where people come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ? You don't find the reaction that John has. You don't see people falling down in reverence and awe. So that tells me if we compare other things with Scripture... Let every man, let God be true, but every man a liar. These heaven tourism books are just that. They're books and they should be placed in the fiction section. If we want to know what heaven's like, we're going to find out. Because God has told us what heaven's like. And we need no other authority but the word of God to tell us what it's like. And when we stand before and we see Jesus Christ in this glory, in this spectacle, as, as he is revealed here, we would have no other choice but to fall down as dead because of the awe and reverence that we will have for him. 
This is the same reaction that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6 when he sees the Lord high and lifted up sitting upon the throne. And as he sees God on the throne, he, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When he saw God, he saw him, and he reverenced him and worshipped him. And so he tells him, fear not. He says, I am the first and the last. By the way, when he says, I am the first and the last, he is referencing Isaiah chapter 44, verse number 6, when it speaks of God Almighty as being the first and the last. Another reference to the deity of Jesus Christ. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And notice this. To persecuted Christians. To those that will be unable to buy or sell. To those that will be unable to escape persecution and oppression. That will be unable to escape certain death. He says, I am alive forevermore. Speaking of his resurrection. That we don't serve a dead God, but we serve a risen God. And as he is arisen, he says, I have the keys. Keys are symbolic of authority. He says, I have the keys of hell and of death. You know what this is saying? Mankind does not have the authority that Jesus has. The time to live and die is determined by Jesus Christ. So that when it's your time or my time to go, we need to be ready. Because it's not going to be you or me that determine it. It's going to be Jesus Christ. That's why we need to be ready to go at any minute. We need to be ready by, uh, by putting our faith and trust in Jesus and Him alone. These tribulation saints, those that are going through tribulations and hard times and facing death, they need not fear because God is with them. And anything that they go through is because He is allowing it. And if He sees that it's time for them to go, they will go and they should rejoice in that they have fulfilled their purpose and they have fulfilled their plan in bringing honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ while here on this earth. And so no matter what we face in this lifetime, no matter what type of hardships, no matter what type of trials and tribulations come our way, folks, listen, when it's time for us to go, Jesus Christ will take us home, and we need not have any doubts about that, and we need not have any concern that our, our work is finished. Get busy, get going, get to doing something, because at any minute, Jesus Christ can take us home. Will we be ready for that? He has the keys of hell and of death. He is God. And we are His creatures. Made to bring honor and glory to Him. Lastly, 
what he was commanded, he says, write these things which thou hast seen. Our fourth point, what he was commanded. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. This is the outline to the entire book of Revelation. The things which thou hast seen is everything in chapter 1 up until now. The things which are will be chapters 2 and 3. And things which shall be hereafter. Verses 4 through 22. And John, just like the faithful prophet, he writes and he records these words. Thus saith the Lord. And he'll send them to the seven churches to bring them comfort, assurance, to rebuke what needs rebuking and to encourage what needs encouragement. John is just a messenger. He's not to alter it in any way, to make it bearable. He is to deliver, thus saith the Lord. And the receivers, they are to take it and to apply it as they are commanded to apply it. I don't know what you might be going through this evening. Maybe you're going through a hard time. Maybe you just feel like the world is crushing down on you. Maybe you feel like like you've just got this incredible weight that is on you. And you're weighed down by it. Maybe you're experiencing a trying time and you just don't know how you're going to make it. Look to Jesus. For that's what we need. If we're ever going to be revived if we're ever going to make a perp, uh, make a, a point and make a uh, do what we've been called to do for Jesus Christ it's time we got this fresh vision of who Jesus is he's in the midst of his churches judging and bringing comfort Seeking purity, but providing grace. Going through each trial that we go through right along with us. Can we get that glimpse of Jesus Christ tonight? And do what we have been called to do. As a candlestick. Lift up the word of God. To a dark, lost, and dying world. So we stand to our feet for our final hymn of invitation. How the Lord's dealt with you tonight. Let him have his will and way. Pray with me. Thank you for joining us for our broadcast. I hope you'll join us again next time with Rick Clark Ministries.